0: You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal Or measure them all by box office appeal But for once in your life Be real! Don't ask us about our motive. It's scarier if we don't have one. Welcome, one and all, to a movie reviewing, reappraising, and genre hopping podcast on the Playlist Podcast Network. I'm Chance Solem Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard. And you're just here because of peer pressure, right?
1: What are you implying?
0: That you're the Matthew Lillard of this podcast.
1: Wow. I, if anything, I'm the Jamie Kennedy of this podcast. How dare you call me the Matthew Lillard. <laughs> we're here in the month
0: of October, which we're As two non-horror aficionados We're told that a bunch of you maniacs Watch like one horror movie a day uh, This time of year Some, If I'm monitoring my letterbox Some people start on like September 20th It's like uh, how Christmas starts earlier and earlier Halloween horror watching starts earlier and earlier We decided Because there's a couple anniversaries coming up And we want to talk about the 90s film's of Wes Craven, uh, an exercise that's possible because Craven's career as one of the great American horror peddlers uh, happens in three distinct phases. Um, He is part of a revolution of horror movies in the seventies with last house on the left and the Hills have eyes, which are uh, responding to the political tumult of the time with, uh, with viscera. And then in the eighties, he, um, kind of early in the evolution of the slasher movie um, comes up with what has to be one of the great ideas in slasher movie history, which is what if he killed you in your dreams with a glove full of knives, Nightmare on Elm Street, 1984. And then in the 90s um, has a run of like more self-aware horror Um New Nightmare and Scream being the prime examples. But we're also going to talk about People Under the Stairs, which I think is responsive to some things from earlier in his career and certainly resonates with uh, a place that horror is in now as it strives for more explicit social commentary. So those are th- our three movies, and I've I've talked way too much. Noah, how do you feel about this category upon which we're about to embark? Yeah, ditto. Absolutely. Great, great. All right. Well, Screen came out in '96. Um, do you have anything you'd like to say? No. I. I How are you I, feeling about this?
1: I don't know. I, I I felt a little attacked at the beginning of your sort of soliloquy there about watching scary movies because usually you're right. I'm not like a scary movie person, but something about no this am I. something about this Halloween season or something. i I've been consuming a lot of and because of this genre too, but a lot of scary movies and going down the rabbit holes with some of these. Uh, you know the the selection of whatever franchise that we're we're goofing around with here Um, so but that's just because i'm trying to like wring out the last vestiges of that sort of holiday Spirit one can one can travel with to adulthood that hasn't been destroyed sure
0: Yeah, um I don't know if you like scary movies or if you just like the scream franchise a lot Have you been watching other horror movies?
1: Well, I watched some of the the nightmares too. Oh, nice! But I, you, you texted me earlier asking me if I was afraid of the nightmares, and indeed, I'm most. <laughs> if we had to look at any of these franchises today, I'm most afraid to talk about the second one.
0: You get your crucifix handy. They really let the crucifix stuff go after the first one. Not a lot of like Catholicism.
1: Well, they replace it with the the T Rex.
0: Sure. <laughs> Five six, grab your t ricks <laughs>
1: <laughs> As a as a visual motif, it's replaced with the not in the actual rhyme itself. So I didn't do a good job.
0: <laughs> um, all right. So what? Um, I think we've only done one. No, we've done two Wes Craven movies on the pod before. We've done. Do you know what they are now? Red Eye and Scream Two. Both. Why part- did we
1: do Scream Two?
0: It was part of our uh, sequel movie draft for one of those ill conceived Thanksgiving blowouts. Nice. Yeah. Um, born Wesley Kravinsky. Oh, really? No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a good bit, though. Uh, born Valentine Wesley Kravinsky. <laughs> No, I think of Wes Craven as, and I think that's why I like his movies so much, at this kind of funny crossroads of, like, not quite wanting to be a horror director. And that's like, if you get into some interviews with him, you know, he just made horror movies because they made money and you could make them for very cheaply. Like, basically, you know, Jason Blum of 30 years previous um, and it was smart. But then he got pigeonholed as kind of a horror director. And I feel like you can either keep turning in schlock like some other genre directors do, or you can become sort of self-aware and, you know, you you take on that thing and then you can play with these genre movies uh, in a sort of interesting way uh, and that's what i think we're kind of getting at uh especially in new nightmare but then scream it's almost the characters themselves are they know that they're characters instead of it just being kind of a insider hollywood kind of zoom out
0: mm-hmm. yeah and that's a good way to talk about his his 90s work this last act um to keep himself entertained to and also to speak to a culture of slasher movie that had gotten real 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 tired by the the late 80s and early 90s you had you know in halloween friday the 13th and nightmare on elm street you had sixes and sevens that were making 25 million dollars if that um so it was a great time to try and revitalize um should we start with the people under the stairs
1: if we must Oh, wow. No, he's just upset about the ick pit. 1991, rated R. um, People under the stairs.
0: (laughs) Is that something we should start doing? Little MPAA corner?
1: That's funny. Uh, 1991, people under the stairs. Two adults and a juvenile break into (laughs) a house occupied by a brother and sister and their stolen children. There, they must fight for their own lives. Did a
0: police officer write this genre description?
1: I know, it's definitely written like in the most... You're like, yes, all those things are true, but you've, you've failed to understand the, the greater meaning of this film. In every neighborhood, there is one house that adults whisper about and children cross the street to avoid. Now, Wes Craven, creator of A Nightmare on Elm Street, takes you inside something's in here we gotta get out of here lee all sorts of rumors about what goes on in that house the police never took it serious she's been feeding that thing between the walls again very very tense about this what goes on in this house is a sin but what goes on under the stairs
0: is a nightmare. So this is the one that would call back to like where Wes Craven started, and by that I don't mean his directing of pornography in the '70s. I
1: mean where he started with horror alleged. movies.
0: Is that true? I don't think it is alleged.
1: I think he's never claimed responsibility beyond like some coy sort of misdirections.
0: Okay. This calls back not to his coy misdirections, but his, <laughs> but his horror movie, uh, early work with like, uh, how *Last House on the Left* um, is very clearly influenced by like the the trauma of, of Vietnam and the the national consciousness of uh, national trauma in the consciousness. This movie speaks um, pretty explicitly, sometimes wildly, to uh, uh, gentrification. And predatory, um, uh, like landlord tactics, and also um, the the political climate that would give us like the Clinton crime bill, um, a sort of like uh, conservative paranoia among like white property owners, when perhaps they're the ones who should be uh, looked at a little more closely. Um, yeah. People on the people under the stairs. People on the stairs. No, that's the bad. That, those are the bad guys. People under the stairs is the film. Um, we've got Brandon Adams who plays this boy named Poindexter, but he's more commonly known as Fool, whose mother is dying of cancer. They can't afford the medical bills. The family is about to be uh, evicted because they can't afford the rent either. And there's some kind of like. You know dastardly clauses In the lease where like if you're three days Late on the rent it triples um, And they're the Last family in this building That's owned by The this is saying they're called The Robisons are they ever Named in the movie or are they just called the Landlords I just know them as daddy and mommy Right Everybody's favorite daddy And mommy So they hear, Fool hears from his sister's boyfriend, played by Ving Rhames. these, Leroy, yes. um, That these people have a gold coin collection that could be boosted to make money to to make the rent. Um, And so they start to infiltrate this house which, um, boy, it's a weird, it's a weird house. It's like kind of in an L.A. suburb, but it seems like it's about 100 years old. Um, as the title suggests, there are some crevices. There's a lot of, there's a lot of hollowness in the walls in which multiple people could live as a matter of certain creepy traditions in this family.
1: Yeah, it's your pretty standard like Transylvania traditional I think it's the architectural style. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> There's something... Yeah, th- this is a house built with as many nooks and crannies as it can find. Um, yep. Which, of course, is, I think, what attracts Wes Craven to this story. is like, how do we get characters into this house that even the villain themselves does not quite have total control over?
0: Yeah, and the thing with the... The people under the stairs are, what would you say they look like? They kind of look like the Geico cavemen, but ashier.
1: They look like they could storm Helm's Deep at any moment, I would say. A little orky. They're a little orky. And not like the, I I take it back about Helm's Deep, not like the battle orcs, but more like the worker orcs who are like slaving away on the warrior orcs.
0: Not the urukai.
1: The, yes, not the archai, The goblin orcs. I got your, you. Your typical, like, win a bre- like zero win against replacement <laughs> pale orc. But, yeah, they're, like, kind of, like, pale. and Well, if they haven't seen the sun, they're living under the stairs. Right, um, right. And in the basement as well, in sort of a pen that also acts... It's sort of this like Harry Potter house too, where it's like you have to get through these challenges to like get the gold at the end, and they're actually because they're protecting this vault uh, of all the spoils of of being a, a land order land owner in in gentrifying Los Angeles.
0: The the Robesons are played by uh, Everett McGill and Wendy Roby as Daddy and Mommy, both uh, both Twin Peaks staples. Um, they certainly have that that. Um, I don't know what you would call it. A certain Campiness. a certain yeah, but like but like also <laughs> what would you call like a deathly serious camp? <laughs> That's kind of what's going on with these two. It'd probably um probably be
1: like a full bill camp.
0: It would probably be <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Um I think they're both great. They're both kind of terrifying and they and they have this the thing about this movie, tell me how you clocked this. There's this temptation to call it like allegorical for social problems, but I don't really think it's an allegory because the social problems are all made very explicit. And if anything, they're just sort of like heightened as if to be like um, mainstream horror movies from people like Wes Craven are not touching on or acknowledging things. like. I mean, when people make movies about gentrifying Los Angeles in 1991, it's Lawrence Kasdan's Grand Canyon. It's not people under the stairs so there's this way in which this movie is like screaming cathartically that the ills of the world um are you know a good a good proving ground for horror concepts like this and so um mommy and daddy are not just um you know polished creepy like gentrifiers there's nothing slick about them it's almost like they've created this like bastion of, like, an SNM confederacy in Los Angeles.
1: Yes. Well, I think the movie's kind of arguing that the systems around these people allow these weirdos to kind of thrive as long as they maintain a certain level of decorum and the level of decorum is don't let the thing under the stairs come out into there's no greater sin than when daddy shoots his rifle in the yard because he's drawing attention to what is happening. And I think that's kind of what's interesting. And even on like a sort of photography level, this movie definitely lets you know, like when you're in the rest of the world, you know, when you're in fool's neighborhood, like it's like not a great neighborhood aesthetically and because it's, you know, it's impoverished. But um, when you're in Fool's neighborhood, you're outside. But when you're in the house, like the the angles get tighter and the camera moves in kind of this almost like proto Fincher way where it like goes through corridors and ducts and things. Uh, and that I think is very sort of, you feel claustrophobic being there.
0: Yeah. A lot of the high angle camera work where things are shot from the ceiling or especially, especially. Oh yeah. Creepy. That's like
1: reminiscent of the, the running up the staircase in like psycho or something.
0: Yeah. So then you, it's interesting. You, you brought up Fincher cause it did kind of make me think of, of panic room. Like sure. This is a horror movie in some ways, but it's also kind of like this weird backward home invasion movie where it's Or a heist, I guess you could call it, where it's like, how do we get into this, um, like place that you know is terrifying where each one of the, the guards that you have to pass is scarier than the last one, whether they be Rottweiler or daddy dressed as the gimp with a shotgun. Um, I guess this would be pre-gimp, um, (laughs) that should be acknowledged, um, Or the people under the stairs themselves Or Roach
1: Daddy hates Roach Because Roach got into the walls
0: (laughs) That's a line from Everyone's favorite character Alice, played by A.J. Langer She's the daughter, question mark Of Mommy and Daddy Um, And boy They're real uh, Real kind of like revival tent Christians around Alice
1: Oh yeah Let me ask you this. This may be a bold question, Chance, so don't lose me here. But (laughs) if one were to modify horror, like in in discussing this film's genre, would you be tempted to call it children's horror? Like, is this kind of a children's film? It has a fairy tale kind of backbone to it. But it kind of has like that, that... it's in that milieu of like Mouse Trap or like the borrowers or like these like dirty house movies of the early nineties where it's true. It's a little Matilda. It's Matilda. Exactly. Yeah. Which makes this movie so confusing. Cause like of the three, at least it is the most gory by far, I would say. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, definitely the most. No, one's Just... not saying this is a children's film. He's but that patina. Yeah. The children's patina. That's right. That's curious,
0: but it's a good point. Um when I think about Brandon Adams' performance as Fool, he's he's good, by the way. I like him. Um it's not like he is sort of like that character's not like larded with a bunch of like symbolic meaning. He mostly is good because he's just a really likable kid. Like his best moments in the movie are when he um, despite all the horrifying challenges in front of him and all he has to focus on, either getting in and out of that house over and over, is just really nice to Alice. And he's just like, oh, hey, how you doing, fellow child? My name's Poindexter. They call me Fool. What's your name? It's very, very winning in those moments, just the way you'd want any child protagonist to be for an audience of children. It can
1: still be a children's film, even with a few decapitations. Sure. As... And Robert England will say about love stories in our next movie. Sorry.
0: So what do you make of its social commentary? The first time I heard of this movie was around, like, get out time. When people were like, yes, get out's great, but, like, don't be a moron. It's not the first horror movie that has had social capital before. Um, And people were talking about people under the stairs. Um, And it's certainly present it's certainly there it's certainly rare for movie talk but what do you think about what it's how it's commenting
1: yeah i mean it's definitely interesting to look at through a a, the lens of today i I think it, it in many ways is a very potent and timely uh satire if you will of the aforementioned you know gentrification and money and landlords and things like that that we've been talking about in the through the pandemic here but I also think that there's something like a little lazy about the personal responsibility politics of like a Ving Rams and the things that he tries to kind of espouse. Like he's so obviously that like that picaresque cliche, like shitty dad, you know, that kind of starts the the journey, the shitty father figure mm-hmm. that kind of lead like is the inciting incident of this whole thing. So I guess it is just going back to, you know, stock characters here, but I don't know, I felt the Ving Rams to be a little unsympathetic for, you know, a guy trying to use the what he has in front of him to make the rent better and the, you know, have the mother get her operation and everything.
0: I will say it goes back to our when we watched Rosewood. Ving Rams has to be one of the great untapped movie stars of the nineties. He has charisma for days. Oh. He could sure. carry <laughs> An entire movie. But you know, this movie weirdly doesn't, um, I mean, obviously characters you kill about, or characters you care about, Freudian slip, are killed in horror movies all the time. Um, but yeah, this movie doesn't have a lot of affection for Leroy, I don't think.
1: And then his body is so like maimed by the right. end of this movie and thrown in my least favorite <laughs> setting of any film, which is an ick pit. Uh, Or a hole in the ground filled with, you know, sometimes like wet or like chunky stuff of indeterminate origin. But, you know, it's you know, it's like the innards of something that's dead.
0: Sure. Amalgamated with other kinds of voluminous ick.
1: Yeah. And it glows a little bit, too. Right. It's getting in the ick itself is harmful.
0: By the 90s, if your ick wasn't a little radioactive, like... What, it wasn't. What at were all. you even doing there?
1: Yeah, <laughs> you, it wasn't a nick pit. If it didn't, if it wasn't a little toxic and glowy, um, what was I saying? Oh, I he think... gets particularly maimed in a way that I think the movie's politics are a little bit dated. Like everyone else, even the villains, like are not visually torn apart the way this particular body is. Sure. Well.
0: They're bad guys Trying to show how bad they are
1: I hear you I hear you
0: Um, Yeah I think the more uh, Trenchant Commentary for me Or I should say Among the Among the more Trenchant commentary Is just that A couple of those lines Were like They Interact With the cops Mommy and daddy And they're like Yeah sometimes it feels like We're prisoners In this In this neighborhood Like we gotta We gotta keep it all Locked up around here Um as though they're not holding like 20 kidnapped people in the
1: in the house. Let me ask you this though, pulling out a little, moving on. Is Alice portrayed by AJ Langer going back to my thing about children's films. She's kind of like an annoying kid. Is she?
0: I don't think she talks enough to be an annoying kid personally. What annoying And thank you God Langer. Roach's
1: tongue's been cut out. <laughs>
0: Otherwise, I know Sean Whalen, who plays Roach primarily as the heckler from that thing you do. Yes. uh, At the original (laughs) contest where he's like, you're drowning in the river. You're drowning in it. Incredible. But he doesn't speak any words in this movie, as you said.
1: Going back to the politics of it, though, and just like these these different sort of archetypes that are on display. I think the movie makes a mistake by not introducing Bill Cobbs earlier. Right. Because I almost think the prologue should be that kind of question between who will Fool go with the Ving Rhames Leroy or will he listen to Grandpa Booker and just like do whatever he suggests. And then he – because then Bill Cobbs becomes kind of a resource not only for Fool but for the narrative of the movie and sort of smartly being like, don't go to that fucking house. Like, haven't you heard about that place? They got like people. They got people under the stairs but the fact that fool has never interacted with that narrative before going in for the first time to me, doesn't like make a ton of sense. Sure. Just to like elevate the the stakes of what's going on, but also like not to make it about like, you know, the only black male on screen is a criminal who gets murdered pretty quickly.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The strength of this movie is not what it symbolizes, but what it can literally show. Um, Because the idea that, like, the people, that, like, two southern cartoon people uh, doing the most evil things, like, living in a kind of still run-down, it's the most, it's the fanciest and most run-down house simultaneously I've ever seen. It was a
1: former funeral home. That's
0: right, which is why it has all those weird slots and hallways and stuff.
1: Right, and then has all these, like, ovens to presumably, you know... Get rid of stuff
0: Like they don't resemble What you would think of As like Exploitative property managers In any way So it's not like What it's evoking It's just what it can show Which is at the end When they finally get into The money pit I think the most uh, Politically um, Motivating moment of the movie Is just where you see that Room Where the money Is just rotting Like the paper Is literally Decomposing on the floor From how little use they have um, for actually hoarding all of this wealth, which um, in terms of like how wealth hoarding works, like that's still a very trenchant image, even if it feels like an old one.
1: For sure. Yeah. And I think Wes Craven's having a lot of fun visually with Things like that, just like having that room full of rotting money. Yeah. You know, I think one of the most impressive shots of the movie is after you establish how this house is like a haunted fun house, you know, borrowers, whatever kind of spot, the police do come to check it out and they like do whatever they need to do to it to not fundamentally change visually what this house looks like, but to make it something that like passed as normal. And it's so odd to like see this sort of weird juxtaposition of, Oh, in this, like the space where cops occupy, this is just like a great gathering spot. Like we're all drinking coffee and eating cookies or whatever. And this is just a cool old house. So it's so funny how like tucked within the nooks are the things that are pulled out or sharpened or locked or lights that are turned on and off that really kind of, you know, is able to capture spaces differently uh, based on who's actually occupying that space.
0: I think just in the experience of watching the movie, like the middle goes on a little long where fool's just kind of in the hallway running from shotgun blasts with roach there's like a lot of we're upstairs we're downstairs we're upstairs we're downstairs times four um i think some of the spaces would feel a little fresher if um that wasn't repeated so much um but i don't know on the whole I, I liked this movie gross as it was. I, I think maybe oh, it's very gross. I think the people on like the actual people
1: under the stairs, there could maybe be like a bigger payoff. I thought that they were going to have a moment where they like help him. Cause you yeah. think at the beginning that they're villains and you're really not like, they're part of the problem of the house and they're, they're sort of, they sort of are, they're just very hungry. So they'll eat anything. Yeah. Uh, But then, like, at the end, they are sort of helpful, but still, like, when they get out, I wasn't sure, like, is that a good thing that they're Yeah, where are they headed? (laughs) Yeah, where are they headed? (laughs) Should we let
0: people know how we rate movies and then rate this one? On Be Real, we rate movies in two categories, a good or bad for technical quality and a good or bad for watchability. So what are the four possible ratings?
1: I don't care! Good, good movies are both well-made and highly entertaining. The Fugitive, Parasite, Rear Window, or The Hunt for Red October. Once more, we play our dangerous game. Good, bad
0: movies are often impressive technically, but also tough sits. Historical melodramas like The Mission, horror movies too scary or gross to rewatch, or self-serious musicals like
1: Yentl. Papa, can you hear me? Conversely, bad good movies are highly flawed but still gratifying. Nonsensical hangouts like Hot Tub Time Machine or ludicrously fun action fare like Twister or Stargate. In my regards to King Todd, asshole. Bad bad movies are neither well-made nor entertaining. Examples
0: we've covered unfortunately include Garden State, Fifty Shades of Grey, and Attack of the Clones.
1: I'm deeply sorry, master. Got all that? Time for a rating. I'll take from your silence chance that you're conflicted about this movie. I am. I'm a little conflicted myself, but compared to these other two movies specifically, I would say it's bad, bad. Okay. what's your what's your rationale? I think it's like no pun intended. a little undercooked, shall we say? Like, I I think that the story itself, you know, about Fool, you know, and about what he's trying to do to be a good son and sort of develop a sense of masculinity when presented with limited options, they kind of give up on that halfway through and then it kind of becomes more save Alice, which I think is less interesting. And then even that... I couldn't even, because I feel like I couldn't tell whether she was kidnapped or whether she was inbred or whatever, you know, it's hard to kind of figure out what her stakes are. Like she doesn't get reunited with her real parents or anything. So like, what are the, what are the actual stakes for her? Um, and then I thought it was pretty icky. The ick pit, for example, uh, seeing Ving Rames get, you know, kind of, uh, butcher shopped, uh, and the the orc people that that was it's it was all too much uh, so so bad bad not not that good not that watchable
0: kind of a with the orc people sort of a prequel to bright but dark
1: oh and I found that deeply triggering as well
0: <laughs> I don't really know how what to make of this one in our rating system even though it's clearly time for me to do so like it's it's uh, it's pretty good I like it all right um, I guess I'll say. Bad good It's pretty enjoyable to watch Um You liked the ick pet Oh sure Primo ick Um Mommy and daddy Just being so arch Just vamping around the house Calling each other mommy and daddy Being like daddy we need a new dog Cause you killed this dog And daddy's like we'll, we'll get there tomorrow mommy Um that's <laughs> That is a glimpse into a complicated marriage that I can get behind. When um, Brandon Adams's performance, as I said, is fun, uh, it'll get him the role in Mighty Ducks in the Lot. It will. You're right. Its best moments are like this, like crazy extremity, and some of the like getting from place to place, which is like we're crawling under in the wall again for the seventh time. It's Been not. Chased as... by that dog. Yeah, not super creative. Even though I do think I wanted to say that the the idea as a whole is creative. Like one of the best things about Wes Craven is like what an ideas person he is. And when we were catching up on some like uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movies to talk about New Nightmare, that's one of those things where, especially like in this age of pop culture where everything is iterative, you're like, you're telling me that like some guy just came up with this shit it's like yeah that's what i'm telling you back people used to have ideas that turned into like the biggest thing in the world um and then later on they make movies about how those ideas were repeated too many times but you want to go to new
1: nightmare let's do it 1994 a demonic force has chosen freddy krueger as its portal to the real world can heather langenkamp Play the part of Nancy one last time and trap the evil trying to enter our world. Mark it comment mark.
0: I'm doing a film about my nightmares as I'm dreaming them. In order for the movie to continue,
1: it, it was dependent on me having more nightmares. Well, fortunately I did. I'm a little frightened by what Wes may have tapped into. I frankly felt that it was over when we did the last, the final nightmare. In a town where movies go over schedule and directors go
0: over budget, something far more evil is out of control.
1: suffered its own terror today as two of Hollywood's best known special effects technicians were found
0: dead. Part of the theme of the movie is becoming like part of the making of the movie.
1: Can you come with me, dreams?
0: I think that only happens in the movies. What happens when the story dies, the evil is set free. Now that the films have ended, the genie's out of the bottle. That's what the nightmares are telling me, and that's what I'm writing. This is still a script we're talking about, right, Wes? He's decided to cross over out of films, into our reality. The seventh Freddy Krueger film. Seven of nine. My God. But this is the thing Noah, if you didn't, don't do the math Don't do the math, don't do the math If I was like, how many years later is this from the first one? Like, how much does it feel like Craven has to reflect on?
1: Why isn't it like 10 years, right?
0: It's only 10 But to me, it feels like 25 worth of repetition and wait And like scrounging for
1: something to say about it It's
0: only been 10 years
1: Right. Yeah. Well, she's still like very much like a young person. Heather. You know, she's still yeah. Heather. She can still play the Nancy role in many respects. Like she does have this young son, but she also seems pretty naive about the world around her too. Sort of like in the sense of her like career and what's what's happening on the Hollywood side of things too. She's and also, stunning. you know, like the the details of what's happening to her with you know, vis-a-vis Freddy (laughs) Krueger.
0: There is something really funny. I'm not sure it's intentional, but, you know, in the old, or the first movie when Nancy's just like, it's Fred Krueger, and everyone's like, no, Fred Krueger's dead. Um, The only thing more ridiculous is then going around and being like,
1: Fred Krueger's killing them, and people are like, the guy from the movies? That is pretty great. Well, that adds... (laughs) Because I think that this movie is really going for that question of what circumstance would someone like this need to be in for people to not believe them again? Once John Saxon sees his ex-wife get eaten by the bed in the first one, like he believes that Freddy Krueger exists. Right. So he like doesn't need to be further convinced. But this movie is kind of undoing that. It's like, how can we literally get John Saxon to not believe even though, with all the knowledge that he has, that Freddy Krueger could kill his quote-unquote daughter.
0: Right, right. Um, and this one in Scream, I think, in a much more... Well, actually, you know what could be like a better through line through all of these? Is they're all the kind of movies where you're sort of like... Okay, after a 20-year career of having defined American popcorn horror... Like... What is horror? What is? What are my movies good for anymore? And I think that can really connect people under the stairs to this and to Scream, and this one you have that people engaging with the question, like the super nineties questions of like, do movies make people violent? Did Freddy Krueger make people violent? And I don't think that Wes Craven has a lot of um, time. For actually answering yes to that question, because he doesn't look at it that way. It's just these—they're just reflections of the the violence in our society. Um, But yeah, this movie is definitely has characters who sometimes hilariously, like the sleep doctor is just like, you didn't let him watch any of these Freddy Krueger fucking movies you've been in, did you, Heather?
1: Right. Yeah, they are in a way aware of the universe that they occupy, and like they kind of ask themselves real questions of, like, what do I buy in terms of how pop culture bleeds into actual life or something. But I almost think that this movie makes the classic mistake in a movie about making a movie is that it like doesn't go far enough. Like, I almost think that the the characters contained in this sort of hollywood world like it it doesn't play with how fake hollywood is sort of no. enough You know, what would be more interesting, not to tip my hand too early here, but what would be more interesting is to kind of see how horror, much like Scream 3 does, how horror will kind of like affect the narrative of this thing that's being created and how, you know, to balance out that terror is kind of like to people's benefit in some ways and that's kind of scary in and of itself but just having freddy pop out in the quote-unquote like real world i texted this to you but it really just feels like like an episode of curb your enthusiasm but like what if one of the characters was like followed around by freddy krueger <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I had lunch with John Saxon, and then I hung out with Freddie at my house for a little bit.
1: Right. They're just, like, sitting in a lot of, like, outdoor restaurants, like, drinking yeah. a lot of white wine, like, kind of confused as to what's happening. And then when they actually get to the horror that's happening in the hospital towards the end, it's like, where are we? You're going you're gonna to do a a, a, sh- a really ill-conceived shot of them running over a freeway? Like, really? Like, that's how you're going to ground us in, like, L.A.? Interesting.
0: I like so I chance think the
1: might defend the freeway sequence.
0: It's one of the, I find it to be the most um one of the more like actual frightening compelling parts of the movie. A lot of the movie is not. But I wanna come back to your point. It's really um this movie like doesn't take the piss at all. Um, which is weird. Like there would be so much to make fun of, as you said about like the schlock masters of an exploitative industry and it just like it's not
1: interested in that. It's very, very earnest. Right. Like Wes Craven is in the movie as himself, as as is Robert England. Yeah. Uh, but neither of them like there is that scene up front where they're on like that Access Hollywood show and then England pops out all dressed up like Freddie and is like schmoozing with the audience and, right. uh, and Heather finds it sort of inappropriate or offensive or something but like he's not really that pumped about making another movie ultimately and like Wes Craven's just like well I I wrote this script that's not finished I don't know have you ever had a character that consumed your dreams and it's like that's fine but you should be like on deadline from the studio to like make this thing like the th- script should already be written like there should be have people with stakes in the game and like money at stake and like she can't keep filming it because of the things that are happening there's a much more interesting movie in here than what turns into just like a pretty standard like horror happening in a suburban i mean much like the original nightmare movie yeah. Yeah, this
0: movie really, really makes you wait for it. Um, I think in no small part because, like, as the sixth movie said, Freddy's dead. So I think if this one was as much for the fans as it seems to be, um like it's it's like an hour and ten minutes before the thing finally cracks open into into ultraviolence.
1: Um Yeah.
0: And which I is gotta say.
1: It's a kind of a long wait, and I have to say, too, that when you get to the reveal of what Freddy looks like, you know, it's just like Jaws. We're waiting to see the, the thing pop out of the water, and it's almost like the new Freddy, the updated Freddy costume is sort of like uh, like Green Goblin meets Dick Tracy or something.
0: It's a little too evidently glossy and rubbery looking it doesn't look like mangled skin it's like
1: spirit halloween Freddy, but that's not the Freddy i that would be that interesting or maybe it's supposed to be over the top because this is the hollywood version of it but again we should have like seen a billboard at some point with this likeness on it so it's like oh that's what he looks like because like this is the way we're advertising him right
0: He's pretty sc- I think I mean I agree he does not look as good. I do think it's pretty fucking scary when he flies out of the closet. Cause I think by that point I'm like, is this even gonna happen? And then there's like the miss me and the and the and the stomach drop and and then he's there, which is which is pretty scary. And then you get the the kind of repeat of the the turning the turning room scene in the hospital, which um sort of flips the logic of it. Like the babysitter can be killed in real life from the little boy's dream. Um, again, it's a cool scene even though I've seen it before 10 years earlier. Um I do, you know, I do kind of like the the garishness of Robert England coming out to like dance with the other Freddies in the crowd of the Axis Hollywood thing because I think it's the one moment where the movie kind of points out from Heather Langenkamp's perspective that like one of the really weird things about these slasher movies is that the the murderers become icons and like the sure. the Scream Queens even charitably used are like, you know, in the public approval index like, don't hold a candle to, like, how many people love Freddy. And that is, I think, if we all cons- if we consider ourselves, like, heartfelt people, like, that's a fucking bizarre truth that has now played itself out over and over and over again.
1: So that's kind of funny. Um, but I yeah. even think the movie misses an opportunity to kind of get into Heather Langenkamp's brain a little bit more like having a bunch of people call her nancy in public or something or like have a waiter or something be like oh my god you're nancy i feel like then it's even more potent when saxon's like oh stay here nancy try to get some sleep and she's like excuse me
0: when it turns into the movie
1: when it turns into the movie yeah Yeah. but i take your point sue
0: i could have gone for the Curb episode that we didn't get, I really could have gone for John Saxon being like, you're scared of Freddy? Let me tell you what my friend Bruce Lee would have said about Freddy. <laughs> <laughs> I could have loved some uh, Enter the Dragon War stories from old John. And they really don't make good on Robert England's place in the movie, really.
1: No, he has like that walk and talk with her like in the lot about how wouldn't it be great to do another Freddy movie? And then we would only see him again when he's like doing the weird Freddy painting. And then like resetting his answering machine to be like as cryptic as possible. Yeah. Who are the other members of the England family? Because I, I we never saw like a wife or kids. This is just him and his, his his nightmares.
0: Yeah, his painted nightmares. Which he's very compelling out of makeup too. It's like what is going on with this man? Definitely could have used
1: more more there i was going to say it was goofy that they cast bob shea and sarah risher as themselves as the new line executives like come on coffee noah it's a motif you're right don't go to sleep well i think my favorite throwback goof to the original was when heather's trying to see another annoying kid uh in the hospital and the nurse is like, ma'am, you can't go in there without a pass. Yeah. Screw your pass. Hell yeah. It's good shit. It certainly goes for
0: it at the end when they fall what into... What is that at the end? When they fall into hell. And Freddy's... Is that is that hell? Tongue and everything.
1: Yeah. Oh, um, the tongue. The tongue. You were saying before we started recording that you liked that they brought back the phone mouth kiss.
0: I said I wasn't expecting it. I didn't say I liked it. For the
1: record, I remembered you raving about it. <laughs> you said that you wanted
0: that done to you and everyone you know. Isn't that what you said?
1: <laughs> you said, Where could I find a phone like this?
0: <laughs> but yeah, it just could be a little lighter on its feet, could be more incisive. Um, I wanted to like it a lot more.
1: Yeah. What are you rating
0: it? Now oh, it's probably a bad, bad.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if you're going to make a movie about making a movie, like, have more of that and have more of the humor. Like, there's nothing less interesting than being, you know, having Wes Craven be like, look at all these wonderful people with whom I made a classic American horror It's like, no, like, England has to be, like, more of a dick, you know? And, like, Craven has to be more Craven, you know? Like, there has to be more kind of teeth on this thing. Like, it has to be more, like, the player and less, like the original film because like i said at the top that's like not that's the the richer allegory is like that people would stand to make make or lose a lot of money uh whether or not this film property gets off the ground which i think is far more interesting than just kind of seeing shots that were updated or sequences that were updated to use technology that was 10 years more advanced you know, especially like the opening sequence too. It's clever if it then goes into the hang of these VFX guys, but it kind of doesn't. And instead it's just like, a, oh, look at the sort of half CGI, half, you know, mechanical stuff that we can do now. And you can see that, that kind of synthesizes that iconic uh, opening title sequence from the original. So I don't know. I think it's... It's a misfire that I know Craven is going to make up for with Scream Three, which I kind of like. uh but that that is more the movie that I'm looking for to contextualize like the larger world and the larger stakes of like what Hollywood needs from these people and how it would be affected by something like this happening. So yeah, bad, bad. I agree with you. I wonder if he just
0: felt that the the route to being like. Um, more venomously self-aware um, about like the trashiness of the franchise in its like later stages there that that had just already been taken by movies like five and six and that the more subversive thing was to be Like really like how has this affected People and how has it affected me Wes Craven the director and now Briefly actor (laughs) And I I think in a way that is sort of um, Subversive but I kind of have To like remind myself that Maybe that was the intent Um, Yeah because Now as a standalone movie it doesn't work that way
1: Something where, like, Wes Craven himself had, like, conjured Freddy by mistake or something to, like, he was worried about how he was going to write the next movie because he was out of ideas. You know, something like that would be more playful, you know, and kind of give the movie, you know, that wink that I think he'll really kind of thrive in with Kevin Williamson writing the actual ideas that he's shooting. Segway. Scream. Well done. ninety-six. A year after the murder of her mother, a teenage girl is terrorized by a new killer who targets the girl and her friends by using horror films as part of a deadly game. Hello? Hello? Who is this? You tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Well, oh, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really, what? Oh, just some scary movie.
0: You like scary movies. Uh huh. You never told me your name.
1: Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. Someone is playing a deadly game. It all began with a scream over 911.
0: Someone who's seen one too many scary movies.
1: Now he's taken his love of fear. Hello. Hello, Sydney. One step far. Do you like scary movies? What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act. She's
0: always running up the stairs and she should be going out the front door. It's insulting.
1: There are certain rules
0: that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a scary movie. Number one, you can never have sex. Hey, this me never ever ever under any circumstances say i'll be right back because you won't be back get another beer you want one yeah sure i'll be right back You didn't make the rules <clears throat> the police are always on track if they watch palm night they say
1: he just kills by them don't answer the phone don't open the door don't try to hide
0: Scared, the opening of this movie with Drew Barrymore and the Jiffy Pop and the anonymous caller oh. is utterly iconic. But the and it was as good this time as it was every other time I've seen this movie. Except this time, I was even more appreciative of the smart choice they made when you realize later that Sydney's mom has been murdered a year earlier. 98% of movies, all conventional movie logic is that you start with the murder of the mom. And it's such a brilliant, brilliant idea not to do that because it is sad and absolutely no fun. Um, And also you just don't need it. Like, it's just one of those things where sometimes like scripts do these things where it's like, well, we have to do that so people will know that. And then you like do it without it. And you're like, oh, I guess we didn't need that. I guess it was way, way better if we put Drew Barrymore um, in like a setup to a movie where I know you want to talk about this, but like you're not even sure it was a movie. um, But then you're like, oh shit, it's not. She's one of the classmates. Um, It's just such a brilliant choice in so many ways.
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, I agree with you. The opening of this is so iconic and really sets interesting stakes that are both like the repartee between the killer on the phone and Drew Barrymore is it's almost like a like a one act play or something where the stakes get slowly risen as the popcorn gets bigger as the popcorn thing gets bigger and then the fire starts to break out and then like the turn of you realizing that she thought in the back of her mind she was safe because the boyfriend was sneaking over later but you realize that the the killer's already intercepted the boyfriend it is it's it's incredible how williamson's able to structure the the stakes in the scene that is such a compelling sort of you know, here's what I have. Here's what you get, audience, person. Like, if you're going to buy into this movie, you're going to buy in right now.
0: And Craven directs the fuck out of it. I mean, I talked in the last movie about maybe how to a harmful extent he avoided, um, you know, dark, creepy, Freddy-prone spaces. Um, And in this movie, he, I mean, he does what, John Carpenter did in 78 so brilliantly which is like using the negative space of a suburban setting to be like people are so far away and you think you're safe because of those floodlights in the backyard but look at all this space with no people in it it's really
1: frightening It's very frightening. Yeah, the the spaces that have enough people where you can kind of be anonymous uh, and then the spaces, yes, where there's just like, no matter how loud you scream, no one will hear you. And I think it's interesting too, this movie really plays with and we kind of get this too with the original uh, Nightmare, but this one really kind of jacks up the stakes on what a phone call can be for right. these kinds of scenes. You know, I mean, uh, the original Nightmare on Elm Street, of course, has the iconic shot where the phone's ringing and it's on, un- it's unplugged, or it's uh, the, the the line has been caught, um, cut, cut. But, yeah, this one having, like, the banter go around and you kind of – the idea that, like, this person can put on someone else's voice, too, is sort of interesting and, like, obscure their own voice in a way that, like, sounds at first familiar and safe but then becomes creepy kind of as the conversation goes on. Because, like, really what you're seeing in this opening shot here, too, in this opening sequence is – what the movie is like? There's just five of these sequences where a person who thinks they have control over their environment realizes that this other person has more understanding of it because of some un- misunderstood or, or obscure talent or magic that they have, uh, and that's what makes Ghostface so so scary. I think is his, his knowledge.
0: Yes, he's not really never physically imposing. Ghostface.
1: No, he fall. What's so great about this movie is how 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 kind of clumsy Ghostface is, right? Uh, and in all the movies, he's constantly like falling over furniture. There's so many unforced errors in his pursuit of his his prey, right? Um,
0: yes. One of the great tricks of this entire franchise is you remember every time the killer at the end is finally like, "I was using the voice changer, Sydney," but the person <laughs> on the phone. <laughs> Is always Roger Jackson And it's very clearly An unchanged human voice And like there's that disjunction Between the plot reveal and what's happening But his voice acting is so brilliant That you kind of like live in this like completely I don't know it's almost like you're in some sort of like Liminal space of a slasher movie but Well before Ghostface ever appears Where it's just like his voice embodies everything bad that's about to happen and the mystery that you were just referring to of the unknown power dynamics that always turn out for the worse, um, having nothing to do with like a five foot 10 man tripping over a, uh, an Ottoman. Right.
1: Well, yeah. And it's interesting too, especially in this one, how tethered to the phone like the character becomes, you know, in it, it almost like it keeps them from running out the door, like screaming their head off to the next house is the fact that like, Oh, well, what if I lose access to my, my phone here? And that's kind of an interesting dynamic too.
0: Yeah. Cause everybody in these movies knows the rules of horror movies. Of course. It's like one of the most famous innovations, um, about it is like the Jamie Kennedy speech of like, Oh, you guys don't know the rules. Um, and, you know, even the women before they're about to be killed are oftentimes like, yeah, like I would fucking go up the stairs instead of out the door. Come on. But the but the um, the ticks of human behavior, like you said, the magnetism to like, well, I got to do this or like I should stay on the phone or like, can I just figure this out? End up sending them up the stairs anyway.
1: Yes. Or can I, like, out-alpha this person with confidence of, like, I know better than you do? Um, I think another fascinating layer to this movie, just structurally, too, is that it brings in the... um, The The journalist character. Oh, and the name Cotton Weary. But the Gail Weathers, Courtney Cox uh, journalist character to kind of give you an even further level of anxiety around this movie, because like, no matter what happens, not only does that thing happen, but then there's the way it becomes reported, which is only sort of half true, at least in this West Craven world. It's
0: amazing what... um I feel like the Kevin Williamson script like awakens this kind of renaissance in him that he clearly been like trying to to toy with and trying to make sense of over the first two movies we talked about. But like his direction game, um, independent of all this movie's self awareness, is is unbelievable at at multiple junctures. I guess I could just talk about it now. I I think it's all fine and good that. You know teenagers have been watching slasher movies And can call out the tropes and it's like oh don't do this And then the character does exactly that and whatever But There's a moment in the final In the final set piece Which like unless you remember it really well I kept waiting for them to relocate. It's like, well, certainly they go somewhere else for the final, final showdown, and we like take a breath, right? And it's like, no, the last like 48 minutes is at this house, Matthew Lillard's house party, um, and it's not just the deconstruction, but it's then that Craven reconstructs a terrifying set piece based on the rules of a horror movie, that like rules that the movie's not calling out, like when Courtney Cox crashes the van, and Sydney's on the road. And it's about to reset, and people have left. You're like, well, they're safe now, right? Because everyone relocated. And then Ghostface is like in the door, and it's like, no, because actually she's alone again for the third time. Um, and the movie doesn't have to call that stuff out, but it just kind of like resynthesizes into something where it's just like, oh shit, like the game is still on.
1: Well, I think Craven's really good at that tension between when is it beneficial to be around a lot of people and when is it terrifying to be alone and having that rubber band of these characters kind of like snap back to the bigger group at the opportune moment that doesn't feel too hokey right uh really gives this movie just like you were saying like in the final sequence it's two sequences masquerading as kind of like one that like the people go out but then they're sucked back in because of some attachment to whatever greater need that they have
0: And something about the way that he focuses on like, okay, now this struggle in the car is the only thing in the world, or now Dewey and Gale walking out on the road is the only thing in the world. Like, It makes you feel like it's reset, but it hasn't. And so the vulnerability has just been disguised from you.
1: So it's brilliant. I think the movie is also very smart in saying like, who's fair game? And, like, Jamie Kennedy will tell you, like, basically who's allowed to live and who's allowed to die, but you almost don't believe him until yeah. it happens because it seems so likely, which makes it unlikely, if yeah. that makes sense. Even when he calls out, the f- <laughs> when, he, when he's
0: rehabilitated the first time, he's like,
1: by all rights, I should be dead, <laughs> Randy <Right>. says. <laughs> I believe. I love the device, too, where at one point, what kind of links the two final sequences together is that Gail Weathers has put a camera in the living room of the house so they can see what's happening in the house when they're outside. but it's 30 seconds delayed in the truck yeah. in their, w- their, w- where they're watching it. Uh, so like something horrible happened, you realize, oh my God, not only has this horrible thing happened, it happened 30 seconds ago. Yeah. So like what's happening now? Uh, I think that's used to great dramatic effect. For sure
0: Yeah I mean I think that was probably in the script I'm sure that was Kevin Williamson's idea But it's just Craven movies Even if like his directing Sometimes is like just serviceable um, There's always like A moment like that Where you're like Oh well this is a perfect device To create like iconography Or to make this memorable Um, Like the opening scene without the jiffy pop is 30% worse 100%
1: and I think he's really good at kind of capturing these things like it's not just like a shot of Drew Barrymore and then we cut back to like a middle shot of the popcorn getting bigger it's like she walks past the popcorn and just like doesn't have the time or the wherewithal to deal with the fact that it's on fire which makes it scary you know or even at the in the set the final set piece of this one of Scream you know the the TV truck itself the news truck like captures these little moments so he's able to sort of like swoop the camera through so you not only see like what's happening in the house because of the feed but you also see what's happening you know to the driver and to Gail Weathers because of their relationship to this truck and how they're kind of like tethered to that because of course the overall need is like I have to capture the story like the danger is fine but we'll be okay because we're like recording it or something and sort of undoing that illusion uh, is clever as well. Something I feel
0: we have to talk about which is it's it's not surprising coming from Kevin Williamson who creates Dawson's Creek. Um but if you go back and watch the classic 70s and 80s horror films, so little energy is put toward making the teenagers like interesting or likable. They never like I having just rewatched a nightmare on Elm Street, um Heather Camp is a is a nice presence in the movie, and Johnny Depp is a a nice presence in the movie. Um, but just like no energy is put toward them have letting them talk about anything. It's just like the shoddiest yeah. of presentation of archetypes you immediately. Understand and so it's just Such a revelation that these kids Like talk about stuff That inflects how you feel About them and a lot I mean like as much as I Love the original Halloween like Again Jamie Lee Curtis is a nice presence In that movie I don't think she ever Says anything interesting To anyone who ever says anything interesting Back so this is a huge escalation
1: well, I think it's fascinating too to like give the teens enough agency to not only feel what they're feeling in the moment, but also feel and be able to communicate things that they felt previously. And yeah. that's what I think, like, what's good about Sydney Prescott and what's good about Nev Campbell in this is the fact that she's not only you know, a teen affluent young woman being chased around by this person, but she's also a young person dealing with serious grief for the first time in the death of her mother. And then also like... Being kind of ostracized about it because of the trial that followed it. I mean, this is just like opening the floodgates to myriad CW and freeform shows that will follow it. The idea of like not just the trauma of the initial crime, but everything that kind of came after it. Uh, And I think opening that door here with Nev Campbell, with her kind of like steely gaze and bad attitude, uh, it, it works really well. She's really good at,
0: like, it's a very thin line between her steeliness and her crying. Like, she's... Yes. Her face doesn't really change.
1: Yes. But I love how this is finally a turn in these kinds of movies where... She has a lot of, like, agency and she can put her foot down. You know, I think it's a great and really smart scene for her to have early on with Skeet Ulrich, who we can get to in a second. But, like, he's putting the moves on her and clearly wants to take this story to an R rating, as he said. And she's like, would you feel okay with a PG-13 romance for now? And, like, that's such a... A, that's such a wink at knowing, like, what kind of movie you're in. Because it's like, wait a minute, like, could a movie like this? It is. Rated R, like what? What are we doing here? Yeah. And then, but also gives her the kind of in scene agency of saying like, nope, it's not what I, it's not what I want. You know, I'm, it's not going to be me. You know, sort of at, at the mercy of these men. Uh, and I think that echoes later in the movie when indeed, you know, she does get the upper hand, not just once, but multiple times in interactions with both Ghostface and then who who ends up being Ghostface. Um, we must ask though, we must interrogate what's up with David Arquette? Is this a movie we like <laughs> him in? Do we like him period? I don't I don't know, man. Is this the only role that he can play? He
0: always seems and I mean this with affection, like Luke Wilson with a concussion.
1: Yes. What's well, hilarious in Scream Two, where Luke Wilson actually plays the Skeet Ulrich part in the movie? Oh, that's with Tori right. Spelling.
0: You know who's great in this movie though is Henry Winkler. I particularly oh my god, is the principal enjoy when he says to the two guys who were you know running through the hallway as Ghostface, he's like, "I loathe your entire thieving, whoring generation." <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man!
0: Which this is yeah. again. This movie has some interesting. It's. I, I'll call it commentary. I mean, it's not necessarily like what the movie believes, but you have like the sheriff too when uh, David Arquette Dewey asked his boss, like, do you really think Billy did this? And the sheriff's like, 20 years ago, I would have said, no, wait, kids today? Like, who can tell? Like you're inching toward that sort of like Columbine level teen alienation, um, which I get, I really, like Wes Craven does not deem horror movies As responsible for that as though he were like a Republican senator from Kansas in 1992 but the ideas are certainly on his mind of like how do people process like the amount of violence how do people how people processed my stock and trade like what is it like to grow up like rooting for Freddie and I like there is a little bit of that with these boys I think
1: Totally. Yeah. I, it's definitely the, the turning point of, you know, some kind of brand of young man that I don't know, perhaps you and I were encouraged to be, um, but Luckily being able not. to talk I'll and, speak for
0: myself, I was not encouraged. I'm more to of be a Jamie a Kennedy. Kennedy. Yes, you are. Just at the video store.
1: Just working at the video store thinking everything is a, is a film. But right. this movie, and maybe that's what I love about it so much, is it like is very disdainful of the jocks and the popular guys, and even the bad boys. You know, it really does sympathize with the film dorks. And you know, I mean, I first interrogated this, this interacted with this movie in, in high school when I fit that description perfectly. So maybe that's like kind of what I like about it. Is a here is a movie made for me. Sure, sure.
0: Um, a lot of talk in the production of the movie and in the script itself about like how important is it to know the motive of the killers and so they apparently studio execs were were split on this so they 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 went into and said okay billy will have an explicit motivation which is that Sidney's wife seduced his dad and broke up the marriage what
1: you said Sidney's wife Sydney's, Sydney's mom. Mother. Sorry,
0: Sydney's mom. Sydney's Billy's dad, and broke up the marriage. And then Matthew Lillard would be the one who's like, I don't know, peer pressure. That wags his tongue. A lot of tongue acting from Lillard in this movie.
1: I thought Lillard was like kind of over the top for most of the movie, but when he gets to the he's point so where he's actually, up. when he's actually bleeding, though, like there's like a like a sort of a, a nauseating reality that kind of sets in over his face, where it's like. Like, fuck, like, imagine getting stabbed but, like, having to keep it together. Which, like, if I do have a a quibble with this movie, it is the fact that, like, what sense does it make to stab yourself first before you kill the perfectly healthy, unstabbed Sydney and her father? Like, that (laughs) doesn't... You kill them first and then you take your time to give yourself injuries that will not kill you. They literally say... it's the perfect plan and they
0: start stabbing each other.
1: It's like, it was good. It was very good up until then. Uh, But it was not, it wasn't great in its, its, its final execution.
0: Just a little light bullshitting to get us where we need to go. Um, The point that I was windingly on my way to making though, was um, the whole thing of like, does it matter that is, Her mom was like with his dad Like is that a cooler reason than having no reason I think what's very obvious The motivation that works great is it's fucking Misogyny like all of these guys And this is like what Wes Craven too Was just like as he tried to Be like can I do something different like I really Don't enjoy the like The misogyny that is seemingly inherent To this genre that I helped Pioneer and in a few years I'm gonna go make Music of the heart Um, But Yeah, like that works really well because it doesn't matter what bullshit reason like Billy Loomis gives or like what these boys give or which one of them killed their own girlfriend in the garage door. Like you could feel explicitly or not that these young men just kind of grew up on these things and in their behavior, like hate women. And I think that is a very um, palpable, um, disgusting, but significant uh, motivation that like really works no matter what the script makes them say.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this movie smartly points out that if you're trying to guess who the killer is, nine, maybe ten times out of ten, it's going to be the character, the white male character that you saw earlier, be shitty to women.
0: Yeah. Do you want to talk? Can I can I give you a couple minutes on Scream two, three, four? Would you like to comment? You were telling me that you enjoyed well, the entire franchise. I haven't rewatched four yet.
1: Four is not top of mind. Uh, Okay. But I think two is, I think two and three, frankly, three is maybe like, it drops off a little bit, but I think two is at least as good as this one in that it takes bigger chances. It moves us to college. It finds really interesting spaces and really interesting sort of like college problems For these young people while finding, you know, hokey yet believable enough reasons to bring the people you liked from the original movie back together. And I think in a smart way, you know, I think a big problem and forgive me for being a suit uh, on this kind of thing about world building, but I think the big problem that a lot of Hollywood horror franchises have is they don't remain consistent with their, their stories. Like they don't build on what's already there. The temptation is to like rewrite every time or just like choose what stuff to acknowledge from previous films. Uh, And perhaps because they were all, you know, sort of miraculously uh, helmed by Wes Craven and the first two, I think were written by Kevin Williamson. They maintain that integrity of you know, this is the story. This is the Sydney character we're building. This is the sort of weird push and pull she has with her male relationships because of this trauma that she's dealt with. But ultimately, like, this is how she, you know, gains that 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 horror movie type of female agency that I think we're we've moved into, uh, with movies like this, you know, the, having the sort of celebration of Laurie Strode, um, you know, as a, as an icon in film, like I think the, you know, the Sydney Prescott character is comparable in its level of growth and how it reflects, you know, sort of a pushback to, uh, the misogyny of the time in which she lived. Cool. And it has enough like I like the 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 stupid humor of *Curb Your Enthusiasm*, like the Hollywood jokes, and this the the this whole series, especially three. Has that great level of like, oh, they're making a movie, and there's the movie, it's called Stab. The Scream movies in the Scream movies is called Stab. And the underpinnings of like those movies are, you know, kind of what tethers this franchise to its own universe, uh, which is sort of fascinating. And I I think, frankly, uh, sort of uh, presaging how how uh, crime will continue to be covered, you know, as we kind of break into the 21st century.
0: You thought we were disagreeing about this earlier. I don't think we're disagreeing. Scream 2 is a good time. Um, It's just not as scary as Scream 1. And it can't be because it's a satirization of horror sequels, which are never... you can... the, the scariest part of the first movies is not knowing. Um And you can't you can't get that back in Scream 2 Where it's just like Yeah, Timothy Olyphant's the killer Because he looks like Skeet Ulrich <laughs> <laughs> Right um, Yeah, so it, it's just not able to It deconstructs as well as the first one I think I just don't think it's able to reconstruct as well And for that reason I think Scream Remains um, An amazing achievement And definitely the best of these movies we talked about today um, Yeah and in, Certainly and not I'll, the
1: scariest though I would say successful satires, though. What do you mean?
0: The all of these movies? Or what do you mean? This one's a successful no, satire? No, just the Scream movies.
1: Oh, yeah. I was agreeing that they're not as scary as maybe some of the other movies. And, like I don't think Ghostface is nearly as scary as Freddy Krueger.
0: No. No. I, I'm saying only the first Scream movie is, is legitimately frightening, I think.
1: Um, For sure.
0: So... Yes. And like I said earlier on my way to a clear, good, good rating here. Like I think when you deconstruct further and you cabin in the woods, it like there's never been a movie that like that movie literally does not reconstruct. It puts all the different monsters in a room and then it's like, I don't know what to do with them. Let them out. (laughs) Like it, it doesn't like put anything back together. Um, and this is not just like a, like a fun category exercise that Scream is doing, it's it's giving the teenage characters of the movies you've been watching about for twenty years like legitimate stakes and identities and conversations. It's fixing a problem of the genre in a, I think, a pretty urgent way by nineteen ninety six standards. Um, so
1: yeah, good, good. Yeah, I think it's giving these characters that kind of 10 things I hate about you level introspection where there's comedy in the comedy of manners that is high school life. You know, I think previous horror writers and directors have just like not either been aware of that or not cared enough to show it. But understanding that these kids to themselves are not kids. They are soon-to-be adults with soon-to-be adult problems. And, you know, they're taking in from all sides, you know, adults that don't believe them, other people who have their own axes to grind and other agendas and stuff like that. And then the horror thing is incidental almost to, you know, living in the real world. And so I think this one, yeah, it feels more like a teen comedy that happens to have a horror movie running through it uh, than one of these Kruger or Jason or whatever kind of uh, Halloween. You know, big franchise you have top of mind, and maybe that's why it gets kept out of those conversations. Um, but I, I think it's I think it's great. I give it a good good. Uh you know, these are the kinds of horror movies that this time of year I personally like returning to because I do feel like there's value beyond just the carnage and the allegory simply contained within the horror elements. Like this one endeavors to be uh, cross genre in its sensibilities and its ambitions.
0: Vampire in Brooklyn, nineteen ninety five.
1: Stop. West... What? That's it. I, that's all I have energy for.
0: We didn't. We're not doing vampire in Brooklyn.
1: I'm kidding. What are you joking?
0: Yeah, I got him. Got him. Uh, My heart dropped as he though was, the
1: phone was ringing and it was Freddy Krueger on the line, or Ghostface.
0: You want to hear some fucking music of the heart? It's the noise Noah made just now when. uh he thought I made, was going to make him watch what I think is widely considered Wes Craven's worst film.
1: <laughs> I'm A glad fil- you didn't.
0: A film where he shows up and was just like, Eddie Murphy, time to do some jokes. And Eddie Murphy was like, no, I don't want to do jokes. <laughs> so that was the problem wow. with that movie on an elemental level. Interesting. Um, fun. If... We appreciate you guys hanging with us. Happy Halloween, as always, and uh, you know, for tolerating our insights into the horror genre, which are late blooming, I would say.
1: We are like little Dylan, who has been exp- who have been exposed prematurely to these films, and now we can't sleep, and we act like other people from time <laughs> yeah. to time, and we are in extensive uh, therapy. One,
0: two, they've only seen one and two. Three, (laughs) four. Three, four. (laughs) four. No one's going to watch Scream 4 after this. (laughs) Five, six, grab your T-Rigs.
1: Grab your T-Rigs. That's it.
0: All right. Thanks so much, everyone. Uh, Happy Halloween to you and yours. Indeed. See you next time.